Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, it's Lon Sybin and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, including why I think cheap Android TV boxes still stink. We'll look at the YouTube membership system, which is now launching across most of your favorite creators and compare it to Patreon and others. Good business discussion we'll have here on that. Intel is developing a discrete GPU. Steam OS may add Windows compatibility. iOS may have subscription-only apps on the platform very shortly. Sega is selling DRM-free ROMs on Steam, meeting my retro ROM challenge. I didn't even know they were doing it. I'll show you that in a second. And we'll talk about the Surface Go and why I loved it, but some reviewers absolutely hated it. Lots to talk about, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, we've got a lot of new members on the channel to talk about, including my father. Uh, It's actually my dad. He just retired recently. I think he's getting into YouTube now, so I want to thank him for uh, his support of the channel. Buffy Easterwood and WizTech, uh, these three are now uh, members of the YouTube membership program that launched a couple of weeks ago, at least on my channel. So you'll see that join button down there. They clicked that and did the monthly subscription. I'll talk more about uh, how that works for me in a second, and you'll get a better sense as to what that means for your favorite creators. And then via Patreon, we had Steve Nunn, and then via my donor box page, we had Wayne Wolf. So I want to thank all of them for their support of the channel. And then last night, I did a live stream because I was recording a video, and it was Sunday night, and I figured, hey, let's bring everybody in and watch me uh, do my thing. So I recorded a video talking about how Uh, Plex works with the new HD Home Run Premium TV service, and I streamed the entire workflow from start shooting to finish editing. Uh, So people were tuned in for that, and Amda Brown, WizTech, and David Reed all made Super Chat contributions. I want to thank everybody uh, for their support this week, and everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. I also want to thank all the folks who have been contributing on an ongoing basis, too. And we'll talk about how all these different contribution sources work for creators here in just a few minutes. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but we do have a non-ad, an affiliate link for... Amazon Prime phones. You may not know this, but if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, uh, you can get smartphones at a really decent price, and they're usually unlocked. Uh, Some work on more carriers than others, but you can find out in all of the descriptions on those phones. And you can see more at lon.tv slash Amazon phones. And this is an affiliate link. So anything you buy there, we get a small portion of the sale. So let's take a look now at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed the Microsoft Surface Go. Uh, That got a lot of views, actually. But that was all we did on the Extras channel this week. But we did have a lot on the main channel. Uh, So we looked at HD Home Run Premium TV, which is their new streaming cable service that is DRM-free and works not only with their app, but a bunch of other apps, too, like Plex and MB and uh, the Channels app, DVR. Lots of good stuff there. You can check that out in the master playlist down below. We had my latest podcast episode that went up uh, yesterday morning uh, with Adam Chiera, who's a professor at the University of Hartford. He teaches social media, among other things, and that was my alma mater, too. I've known Adam for a long time, and uh, good discussion there. Uh, We had the Microsoft Surface Go review. 
We had a review of the MeCool KMA Android TV box, which build itself is certified, but we found that all the certified things you want to do didn't work. So uh, just a little cautionary tale in that review. You can see it linked down below in the master playlist. And we also had the video that I shot and edited on the live stream uploaded last night because this was a frequent question I was getting from folks as to how to configure Plex to work with the HD Home Run Premium TV service. And I got in this comment on my Android TV box review that really reflects my own opinions on the situation with these cheap Android TV boxes. Uh, they are oversaturated and becoming a plague. That is I, probably the best way to put uh, the cheap Android TV box market. They've always been bad, and in the past they were bad because they were running the tablet version of Android and you didn't get the full TV experience. Uh, now they're getting the TV interface, but they're not doing all the things you want to do on your TV, namely watching Netflix for one. Uh, we did see the last batch of the MeCool boxes had like this hacked together version of Android that got the TV interface working but wasn't officially certified. Uh, this one apparently was certified by the main manufacturer, which is why they put certified on the product description for the one that we were looking at. But still, if you can't run Netflix on it from a consumer standpoint, I don't think it is a good buy at all, and there will be a lot of disappointed people who uh, get the box and learn that it's not fully functional. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 77 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, and I thought today uh, we would talk a little bit about all these different ways that you can help your favorite creators monetarily uh, and what they mean for the creator. Because as you all know, we've been going through some uh, issues with Patreon that started up about a year and a half ago that required me to start doing my own thing. And I just wanted to give you a kind of a landscape here as to uh, what your choices are out there for supporting creators and what they get out of the deal. Uh, so you probably saw this now showing up on my channel and many others, which is the uh, YouTube membership program. Uh, this kind of spawned out of their gaming system where uh, they were trying to match something that was being done on Twitch where you can subscribe to your favorite creator and when you do so, uh, they'll get a portion of that subscription fee and then you get special logos next to your name in chat and that kind of thing to show that you are a supporter. They have some other perks that you can add to the mix as well if you wanted to do that. Um, but there are other options for supporting your creators too, like Patreon and DonorBox, which I'm using uh, quite a bit now. So I wanted to just kind of give you a, a lay of the land here. So if you were to contribute uh, your $4.99 a month to your favorite creator, uh, YouTube takes 30%. I was looking on my transaction logs for this. Uh, I get $3.50 out of that $4.99. This is actually the uh, biggest cut out of anyone else in the industry and the uh, people who give via the membership program can only do $4.99 a month. Not more, not less, just $4.99. And again, we get the lowest cut of that uh, versus all these other services. Now, Patreon is a little more flexible, so they have a variable monthly amount that you can give. Uh, so for me, it's as, as little as a dollar up to whatever you want to do. Uh, but they do charge the credit card fees because that's their expense. Uh, so that's typically $0.29 cents per transaction uh, plus 2.9% for the credit card transaction fee. And then they uh, add on a 5% fee on top of that to cover their expenses. So it's a little bit more than if you just did it yourself, uh, but you do get some really nice tools if you are communicating directly with your, uh, your supporters and whatnot. And one of the things I like about Patreon was actually one of the things they tried to get rid of, which is the fact that it's very good for contributing to multiple creators with small dollar contributions. So in the case of me and maybe nine other people that you support, 
Patreon charges you $10 and one time for that $10 and then distributes it to those creators as opposed to charging you 10 times. And that's good because remember, uh, the credit card companies usually collect a 29 or 30 cent fee on every transaction. So you can kind of dilute that fee across your $10 as opposed to having to pay it for each contribution. So if you're doing small contributions to a bunch of people, uh, doing it directly to Patreon versus PayPal or anything else uh, is a little better, even with that 5%, because we'll get a larger share of that dollar uh, with Patreon than we would anywhere else. And actually, the killer for me was that uh, Patreon tried to do away with this and then make you pay all those individual transaction fees. And that's why everybody left Patreon so quickly, because um, this was really the, the glue that made Patreon work for a lot of creators, because it really was a high tide uh, lifts all boats kind of scenario, where if you gave to a bunch, uh, we all benefited from it. But it's very hard for them to uh, apparently account for all of that. Uh, now, the other thing I've been using is DonorBox, and I started using DonorBox after Patreon almost imploded on themselves when they wanted to get rid of that program. Uh, so like Patreon, you can do a variable monthly charge. Um, for me, this is my preferred method of contribution just because it's something that's more in my control than Patreon is. Uh, right now, for me, it is free because I get less than $1,000 a month on DonorBox. Uh, after I cross that threshold of $1K a month, uh, they'll add an additional 1% fee, but that's still 4% less than what Patreon charges. Uh, so it's a pretty good deal. Now, a couple of other things I like about DonorBox is that they allow people to give a one-time contribution so it doesn't become a monthly recurring thing. And they do all of their payment processing through PayPal and Stripe, uh, and they don't process any payments themselves. So you open up a Stripe account, you have your PayPal account, and everything just kind of flows in uh, through those two payment processors. And the decision as to whether to use a credit card via Stripe or PayPal is done by the contributor. It is very, very flexible. So out of the three, I do prefer DonorBox just because I have more control over it. Uh, but Patreon is better for me if you are contributing small dollar contributions to many creators. And it's also going to be better for those creators too because they'll get slightly more uh, of that dollar than uh, they would on DonorBox if you're giving to multiples. Uh, and then the least uh, lucrative for us creators out of the batch at the moment is the YouTube membership program, which is taking a whopping 30% of that $5 as it comes in. And DonorBox, by the way, is really good not only for YouTube people, uh, but if you are somebody who's responsible for a nonprofit like a charity or a church or synagogue or mosque or something, it's a lot easier uh, to collect these recurring subscriptions with DonorBox than it is to have to code something yourself. And there are a number of platforms out there, but I found just from my research uh, that DonorBox just checks all the boxes of uh, simplicity and it gives the uh, people contributing the ability to adjust those monthly subscriptions or cancel them. So you don't have to go out and call somebody or hope that your code works. You can just have the user go in and cancel that recurring subscription via the DonorBox page directly or via PayPal if they are uh, using PayPal for that monthly contribution through DonorBox. It is really flexible, uh, really, really good for uh, nonprofits and, and other organizations that don't have a lot of resources to code stuff. This is just fantastic and really does everything I think somebody would want to do. And now it's time for a couple of things in the news that caught my eye. And the first thing is that NVIDIA will be announcing some new GPUs today. At least that is what the speculation is. 
Uh, this announcement will have already happened by the time you see this, so maybe we'll do an update in the comment thread about what was actually announced, but I think you can anticipate some faster GPUs coming out. It's been a couple of years now, so it's about time, uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we also found out via Lilyputing here that Intel is planning their own line of discrete GPUs. These will not be integrated into processors, but will be on uh, separate add-on boards. So this will be intriguing to see what they've got coming up and perhaps what kind of power consumption advantage they might have over their competitors. So we'll have Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA potentially all competing against each other, which is great for us. So we'll keep an eye on what's happening with that in the near future. Another story in Lilyputing caught my eye, which is that uh, Linux on Steam OS may add support for Windows games. Now, we looked at a Steam machine probably about three or four years ago now. It was a nice uh, Alienware device, really well constructed from an engineering standpoint, but the compatibility wasn't there. Most of the games that people want to play are on Windows, and Steam just did not have a lot of Linux support for their operating system from many of those titles. Uh, so now it looks like they're trying to add in a compatibility layer here that might allow some of those Windows games to boot up and run on Steam OS. Uh, this is something we've seen with Wine, which is a way of uh, mapping Windows libraries to Linux. So we'll see how they plan to implement that and what kind of performance uh, disadvantages there might be with it. We'll keep an eye on that. Now, this story concerned me because it looks like Apple is beginning to push some of their top developers into a subscription model as opposed to having those developers sell their apps on their app store. Uh, this means more money for Apple, of course, because they get a cut of those subscription fees. Uh, but they're saying to the developers, like, hey, this is a more sustainable way of uh, making your business work because you'll have predictable monthly income coming in as opposed to having to rely on uh, individual sales. And of course, this might be better for developers and better for Apple, but I don't think it's better for customers. And hopefully customers will uh, vote with their wallets on this. Now, when I left my day job, I also lost my Creative Cloud subscription because it was part of my job. And I couldn't justify spending all that much money a month to use Photoshop. I do some stuff in Photoshop, nothing terribly advanced. And I found an alternative that was $30 one time called Pixelmator. It's a great app. It does everything I was doing in Photoshop. And I don't have to pay uh, 50 or 60 bucks a month or whatever they charge you for Creative Cloud now to be able to have access to that app. And the best thing is, is that uh, I have no ongoing expense here. And the app is essentially mine to use forever. Uh, unlike a subscription model where you could be paying a developer $100, $150 over the course of two years, and the second you want to stop paying, you have no longer any access to the app that you've been paying for. And that really concerns me because I feel like you know, the developer should have some skin in this game in that uh, if they want us to keep paying them money, make the applications better, add new features. And if you've developed an app to its uh, pinnacle of its potential, then move on and create something else and new that people might want to buy. It's kind of a standard way to sell things is you make your product better, get more money for that better product through upgrades or whatever, and then once it's done, it's done and you move on to the next thing. And what uh, the Pixelmator team is doing is they kind of realize that this app can only go so far, so they developed a new version called Pixelmator Pro for $60. This is what it costs. Uh, I don't think there's any upgrade uh, incentive from the old version, but that's fine. If it's that much better and I have, it has something that I really need, then I'll pay for it uh, so I can get access to those features. And what's cool about what these folks are doing is that they're still offering the original app as well. Uh, so you have the choice. You can use this one, which is kind of no longer 
being updated. It's being, uh, you know, patched when necessary for different compatibility things, but they are really billing this one as the future of the company, and they're giving customers the choice as to what they want to use. And uh, to me, that's just a better model. I really am getting sick of a subscription for this, a subscription for that. We're going to have to have like five different streaming services soon. It's getting to the point where everybody's just going to be taking money out of our wallets, including the cable company and the phone companies here. Uh, as opposed to actually delivering value. And I have really not seen a subscription piece of software, maybe with the exception of Adobe that has a huge team behind it. Uh, there, there really isn't as much risk for the developers, and I'm not seeing the kinds of big feature releases that uh, I have been seeing on uh, paid apps. So I don't think this is very good for the industry overall, and it kind of puts us in this stasis field where everybody's just comfortable and not really doing anything new with their products. So we'll have to see how this develops, but it looks like you're going to be seeing a lot more subscription-based apps on your Apple devices. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question is going to be in response to the retro ROM challenge we made last week in regards to being able to buy ROM files from our favorite retro video game consoles and have them DRM-free so we can play them on different types of systems. And I got this comment in. Uh, on last week's wrap-up from uh, Michael Caine, the actor. How, that'd be cool if it was really him. Uh, and he suggests here that there is actually a company already doing this, namely Sega. And if you go to the uh, Genesis Mega Drive collection that is on Steam, uh, when you buy those DLC games, you're actually buying the ROM file, and the ROM gets downloaded to your computer, and it's completely DRM-free. So I put this to the test, and you can check it out here. So I've got... Uh, Steam running here. We've got the Sega and uh, Mega Drive Classics here, and I've already got Streets of Rage 2 in my library. Uh, Sega's selling these games for 99 cents a piece. And by the way, they have a really cool VR mode for this. You can jump into this 90s bedroom with the Sega Genesis on the floor and the 14-inch TV. You can grab the cartridge, stick it in. It's really fun. Uh, But in any event, we're going to go over here to the uh, game. I'm going to go to Properties, and I'm going to go to Local Files and Browse local files and if I do this it'll bring me into the directory where it's storing this and you can see there's a folder called uncompressed ROMs and inside of here is Streets of Rage 2. Uh, It's a 68k file it says and we're gonna have to do one little change to this. I'm just going to copy this and drop it into my downloads folder here and then I've got the Kega Fusion uh, emulator running right now too but I'm going to go over to downloads and just going to rename that file from 68k to bin because I think it likes that um, extension better so we'll go here and just type in uh, bin and hit enter there we'll just say yes to that and then I'll go over to Kega Fusion we're going to load a Genesis ROM and we'll point it at the downloads directory here let's go to that real quick I'm already there so we're just going to hit streets to you and boom what do you know we have a Sega game that was purchased legally, a ROM, that is booting up here in an emulator uh, without any problem. And apparently this is how this thing has worked from the moment they released it about a year ago. They're actually just downloading a DRM-free ROM to your computer, and you can do whatever you want with it after you get it here. Uh, This is what they're offering now. So for $30, you get all of these games, including... Uh, Sonic CD. I would love to see what the format is for this. It's five bucks. Maybe I'll pick it up and check it out because it's probably an ISO file. 
Uh, but look at this, isn't this great? You get all of these cool games. Now the problem though is that none of these are incorporating any licenses. So for example, on the Genesis there was a great uh, Ghostbusters game, but that has a Ghostbusters license attached to it. I'm sure they'd have to figure out something with the rights holders for Ghostbusters to be able to re-release this game. So that's going to hold up a lot of the games that we probably want to play, but this is a good start. And I am so happy that uh, Sega is doing this. So if you are emulating, and let's say you've got Fantasy Star 4 that you grab from EMU Paradise or someplace like that, and you don't have the original cartridge, uh, my suggestion would be to go in and buy it now, uh, just so you can be legal and uh, reward Sega for their efforts in producing the game and making these ROMs available to us DRM-free for use in any emulator. Great stuff, and kudos to Sega. Let's hope more companies follow their lead. And this next question comes in from Link Designs about my review of the Surface Go. Uh, Link Designs has been seeing a lot of reviews on this product, and they have ranged from it being terribly slow and complete garbage to people like me who thought it was really good. And he's wondering, you know, what's the deal here? What is the right answer on this device? And I can tell you, I am really happy with it. And here's why. First of all, it's very portable, uh, very lightweight, but it is a full Windows PC. Uh, and what I'm going to be using this for here in the studio is a lot of stuff because it is running the full version of Windows in a very compact form factor. Uh, but right now we're actually running with uh, my NewTek NDI uh, browser application here. So I can go in and look at all of my TriCaster output here because this is running Windows and supports everything Windows does. I can really use this as a useful production tool. Uh, here on the channel. And this is just one of the things that it does. And I think what they did right here um, was that they chose the right processor for it and they didn't over-market this like they did the Surface 3 a couple of years ago. So I wasn't very crazy about the Surface 3 primarily because I didn't think it lived up to the advertising hype. Uh, this one, they, I think, marketed the device more appropriately, and I think they set expectations appropriately. And that's often how I review things, is I look at what is the manufacturer selling to customers, and does this live up to that expectation? So check out uh, this from the Surface 3. Uh, they were making the Surface 3 out to be, this is not the Pro, this is the Surface 3 that had the Atom processor. They kept saying it was going to be the tablet that can replace your laptop. And yes, it could to some degree, depending on what you were doing, but for the most part, it wasn't that powerful. It was good enough to run Windows and whatnot, but it wasn't a laptop replacement, especially if you had a laptop powered by an i5 or an i7, which was the uh, typical type of processor we would see in a laptop at around that price point from a couple of years ago. This one is much more realistic. Low price, right off the bat here is what they're promoting here in their press materials. Uh, the, the smallest and most affordable surface yet. In other words, uh, this is a, a portable and affordable device and keep your expectations appropriate here, folks, and you'll be happy with it. And that is what they produced. And as a result, I think from my expectations, we're actually exceeded by it because it has uh, what is essentially a Core M processor inside, uh, which is also what happens to be uh, inside my little MacBook here that I bought a number of years ago. And because the little MacBook has the uh, Core M from three or four years ago, this new one runs a lot faster. It feels very snappy for what it is, and it's able to do things that uh, the other Surface couldn't do as well, and I'm really quite pleased with what we saw in my testing of it. So I think if you're coming into this with the right expectations, uh, this is something I think that can be very useful. Now, the one I reviewed that's on the desk here is the $399 entry-level model. I always like to buy the low-end devices, one, because they cost less, but also that is the price that they're advertising all of these features against. 
Uh, in hindsight, I probably would have gone with the uh, more expensive one that had more RAM and a slightly faster hard drive, but I'm uh, pretty pleased with it overall. I mean, applications do load up maybe a little bit slower than they would if I had uh, the faster device with more RAM, but for what I'm going to be doing with it, uh, which is not being my daily driver PC, but something we're going to use here around the studio for different things, uh, I've been pretty pleased with this overall. But I think a lot of people who are uh, not happy with this device are not happy with it because it is not a tablet that can replace your laptop, but it is a supplement to it, and that is not where the Surface line has been up until now. But I think it is good that Microsoft did uh, set an appropriate expectation here, and I find a lot of usefulness in this form factor and this device with its performance. And this next question involves Windows 10S and our little tablet here, because the tablet does come with Windows 10S mode by default, uh, which you can turn off and turn it into a regular edition of Windows. And we haven't talked about uh, Windows 10 S in a while. I didn't include that in the review because I had done videos on uh, S mode in the past, but uh, in a nutshell, what it is is a version of Windows that only allows you to install apps that come from the Microsoft App Store. So you can't get Chrome installed, for example, because if it's not available on the App Store, you can't use it at all. But they do allow you to turn that mode off if you want, uh, which is what we did, and we reverted to the Windows 10 Home Edition and that will let you install whatever you want on your device. Now, the biggest issue that I can see people running into with uh, S-Mode turned off on a tablet like this is probably battery life, and it's not because Windows 10 Home consumes more battery on its own. It's that you can install apps that are more battery-hungry, namely the Chrome browser, uh, which does consume more energy uh, than the Edge browser does. So if you do have Chrome running, you probably will see shorter battery life. I'm not sure exactly how much shorter, but it will... Uh, make a bit of an impact there. And I'm sure there are other apps that install things that run in the background, for example, that uh, might impact your battery life too. So just keep those things in mind when you are leaving S mode. You're going to have you know, a little less control perhaps over what gets installed on your computer, but you of course will get more applications available to you. Uh, the big thing with Windows 10 S mode is I think it's more secure especially for people who you don't trust to uh, operate their computers without installing things they shouldn't be. And I often run into this with family members. I'll leave out the names and identities of them for you right now. But generally, I'm going over to a few family members' homes every six or eight months or so, and I'm cleaning out malware and all these browser extensions and all this other junk that came in when they were updating software and just clicking yes to everything. So because Windows 10 S kind of dictates what you can install and where it comes from, there's a little bit more control on Microsoft's side to make it uh, more secure, in my opinion, especially for people who are not very good at securing things themselves. Uh, the other question involves Windows 10 Home versus Pro. Uh, I put the Home Edition on this one. Uh, Pro is really best suited for people in enterprise environments because it provides the ability to log into enterprise servers, which I believe the home version lacks. Uh, the other reason why you might want to look at Pro over home is that Pro does allow you to install uh, the remote desktop protocol server on your computer so you can log into your computer remotely with the Microsoft or other third-party remote desktop protocol client. So if you wanted to use your computer away from home and not pay for a service, uh, you could do that essentially using 
uh, that remote desktop protocol server on the Pro Edition, which is not available on Home. But generally, for most consumers, Home Edition is just fine. And in our Q&A for you this week, I have a tablet in my hands here that can replace your laptop, but I had some questions for some of the uh, graphics experts out there. Uh, This is an HP tablet. It's a workstation tablet. It's in their Z series, and it has an NVIDIA Quadro GPU built into it. Uh, One of the things I've been looking to do is trying to show some examples as to how the Quadro GPU might be better Uh, than an Intel GPU, but we're not seeing, of course, on gaming that much of a performance bump just because these aren't really designed for games. Uh, They're designed for more workstation tasks. And I'm looking for a benchmark or two that we can run to really show the difference between this and just a regular Intel GPU. We've been having some issues getting some of the stuff we've been running to actually run off this GPU versus the Intel one, which we're going to get resolved. But I'm just curious what you would like to see out of a device with a Quadro uh, GPU on board so we can get the right information out to folks. We've been struggling a bit just because our usual tests don't show uh, that much of a difference there. So let me know down in the comments below and we'll get that integrated into the review that we're working on. Our channel of the week this week is Motor Week's Retro Review. I've been watching these for a number of years now. Uh, Motor Week is a show that his, I think is on public television here in the United States. It has been on for almost 40 years with the same host. And what a job if you can find something you love and keep it going for that long. And uh, what they do every couple of days is they post some stuff from their archives. Like here is a review of the new 1983 Subaru traction wagon. And it's really fun just because if you, you know, follow cars and developments in automobiles today... Uh, to see what was being sold back then. And all these uh, rusted out jalopies you see jumping around the highways around you, uh, you can see what they look like when they were brand new and what they were uh, being marketed as. Really fun stuff to go back in time and look at some of those retro reviews. And what I did is I subscribed to the channel, but I also uh, kind of added the playlist to my list of playlists. So every time something gets added to it, I can see it uh, jumping up on my playlist list. And I know to jump in and take a look at it. So good stuff from Motor Week. Uh, with their retro reviews. So this week we've got a bunch of stuff on the docket, including a little portable SSD from SanDisk, which I've already shot. It's uploaded and ready to go. So I love these things. They are very versatile. I like to consider them as little mini RAID arrays you can stick in your pocket and they have no moving parts. We use these for editing all the time here on the channel. So you'll see my thoughts on this little rugged device from SanDisk in a couple of days. I'm also getting in the new HP Stream. It's become kind of a tradition on my channel to make sure we review this particular laptop every time it gets updated. Uh, The price now is $249. It is a 14-inch device, uh, and it's got the new Gemini Lake processor on board. So we'll be taking a look at this one. We're also getting a similar one in from Acer uh, in the next couple of days, too. So it's uh, the season for back-to-school cheap laptops, and we'll be taking a look at as many as we can get. I am also determined to get my NDI video done this week. You saw a brief preview of what NDI can do with our little tablet here. I'll go into more detail about why I think it's so important for video creators and people that are doing live streaming and other stuff. So we'll be doing that. And then on the tail end of the NDI video, uh, we'll also be talking about this camera that I got in uh, that works with NDI. And it's really kind of neat that it can be a single cable solution camera in that you can power it with the Ethernet cable that you plug into it. Uh, if you want to support the channel, as we talked about earlier, you can. You can go to lan.tv support, 
and go to my donor box page to make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We, of course, still support Plex and the YouTube membership program as well. We have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we'll get a little commission from that. We also have the Plex Pass available on that page as well for signing up for their premium service, or you can gift it to somebody else. And again, we get a little commission for any kind of action taken there. And we have some other channels to follow if you like what I do. My Extras channel has a lot of supplementary content and unboxings. We have the podcast, which is at lon.tv slash podcast to get audio versions of this show along with uh, the interviews that I do once a month too. So if you prefer to listen while you're driving or commuting or whatever, you can grab those in audio format. My Snippets channel has portions of this that uh, are more search-friendly, so you can subscribe to that if you want to see these things in bite-sized pieces. And then we have the live stream archive, where you can see every live stream I have done here on the channel over the years, if you want to check some stuff out. And what's cool about the live stream I did last night is you can actually see my workflow from start to finish. We shot something and edited the video uh, right in the middle of that live stream. So people enjoyed uh, seeing how I get stuff done around here. Now, I do suggest you click on the bell so you get notified anytime I do anything here on the channel. So that's something you should uh, definitely do on all of the channels that you follow me on and also for all of your favorite creators because the subscribe button is no longer enough. And you can engage with me on my email list at lon.tv email. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv Facebook where I also upload snippets of this video to it. Uh, we have the Facebook group at lon.tv Facebook group where you can interact directly with uh, fellow subscribers to the channel and me as well. We have over 400 people in there now. And we have the store at lon.tv store where you can buy some of the stuff that I've previously reviewed on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. And you can get an alert anytime I add something to the store at lon.tv slash store alert. I send out an email every time we up, update inventory there. Now, the store is running on Square's platform, but we're probably going to be moving off of this very soon uh, because I've been getting a lot of fraudulent transactions going through that Square is not catching and stopping. Uh, what's worse is that they're not giving me any billing information about the person who's buying these things from me, so I have no way to even verify whether or not this stuff is legit. I lost about $300 a few months ago when somebody bought some stuff on there with a stolen credit card, apparently. Square didn't catch the transaction before it went through, and I was out the money. I almost had it happen again about two weeks ago, uh, which I was able to thankfully stop because we got smart about it, and now we verify uh, some of the high-dollar transactions. So you might get a call from somebody uh, to validate that the transaction you made is yours, but don't be afraid. We just want to make sure that you are who you say you are, so just be advised of that. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Lots of stuff to come this week, and I greatly appreciate everybody who watches on a regular basis and leaves such great feedback and comments. The community here uh, really is fantastic, and I want to thank you all uh, for helping build this channel into what it is and hopefully what it will be in the future. Until next time, this is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.tv supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Bill Reiner, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more.
And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.